So we continue this morning as a church going verse by verse through this book of Galatians. And we're now, as you see, in the middle of chapter 3. And so far in chapter 3, we've seen Paul's emphasis on how this gospel, meaning this message of Jesus Christ, isn't about what we do for God, but about Jesus and trusting in him. But now here, starting in verse 15, as you heard in the scripture reading, Paul is still going to be talking about the gospel, but in a slightly different way. And that's by talking about how Jesus and the gospel relate to God's promises and the Old Testament law. God's promises and the Old Testament law. And even just hearing that, I know that might sound confusing at first, but this was a big deal back then. Because remember, this message and gospel of Jesus didn't come out of nowhere. Instead, God had made all these promises in the Old Testament, like to Abraham. And then, after that, in history, he had given this big law to Israel, like in the Ten Commandments. And so the question in our text essentially is, so how does Jesus relate to all of that, to God's Old Testament promises and the Old Testament law? And what does that mean for us? Which brings us to an outline of how we'll go through our passage together. So there basically is these three main ideas that Paul's going to weave together throughout our verses this morning. And these three main ideas are God's promises and his Old Testament law and, and Jesus. And so for us and how we'll come to understand these three ideas, both in what they meant back then and why they matter for us this morning, we'll actually just have two main sections together, two main sections. First, we're going to go through our passage, and we're just going to talk about how God's Old Testament promises and his Old Testament law relate, the promises and the law. And we'll do that because before we even get to Jesus, we need to understand this. Because what we'll do here is we're basically asking, okay, So as we might know, God made a bunch of promises in the Old Testament, right? Things he said that he would do. But then there's also a lot of commands in the Old Testament, the law. And so how did these relate, his promises and his law? That'll be our first section. But then second, we'll go a step further on that. Because what we want to see is not just how God's Old Testament promises and law relate, but specifically as Christians, we want to know how these relate to Christ. And so that's what we'll do in our second section, how Christ relates to the Old Testament promises and to God's law. And so that's our outline. And some, first, how the Old Testament promises and law relate, and then second, how God's Old Testament promises and law both relate to Christ. And yet quickly, before we even then do get into our first section together, I just just want to be honest from the outset and say that you might have heard all that, And as you might have heard and listened during the scripture reading, you might have noticed that in a sense, this passage does contain a good amount of theology and it talks about the Old Testament in ways that might be a little difficult for us to understand. And so on the one hand, I realize that that being the case, it can be so easy for a lot of this to just be confusing and sound like it doesn't really matter. But I want to bring that up right away because what I want us to all know is that whether you're here and you know a lot about the Old Testament or you don't know that much about the Old Testament, either way, why this morning is pretty interesting, even if it's tough, and why this is in God's word for us this morning is because we believe, as Jesus taught, that it's ultimately God who was the one in control of what happened in the Old Testament. It's God who spoke and still speaks in the Old Testament. 
And I say that because this then means that what we're really talking about here this morning, in essence, is why did God have his Old Testament be like this, right? With his promises and then his giving of the law. Why did he do that with Abraham and then with this whole nation of Israel? And this is interesting, especially when you contrast what we have in our Bibles, church, compared to other supposed holy books in other religions. Because if you've ever read any other holy book and other supposed holy book in other religions, like the Muslim Quran or the Hindu Vedas or the Bhagavad Gita, you'll notice how drastically different they are from our Bibles. Because in those other supposed holy books, right, they're usually either a lot of rules or lofty poetry. But then when we come to our Bibles, especially our Old Testaments, it's totally different. We have this story, this history, written in many different genres, with many different books, over thousands of years, with a lot of different authors. And in all of it, God is graciously initiating relationships with people and making promises to people. But then also in it, God gives this big Old Testament law. And not only that, but if you think about it, in the Old Testament, it's mainly a story about how people don't primarily obey God's law. Right? That's our Bibles. That's our Old Testaments. And so all that being said, in this morning here in Galatians 3, we essentially just have the inspired Apostle Paul telling us why God had that all happen in the Old Testament the way he did why he gave those promises, then why he gave the law, and how that all culminates and climaxes in our Savior, Jesus Christ. And so again, even if what's about to come at times honestly is a bit confusing, just stick with me. (laughs) Because this passage really can help us understand and love God's plan and his word a lot more. But now let's begin our first section. And here again we're seeing how God's Old Testament promises and his law relate. And to set up what we're about to read, remember briefly the storyline of the Bible, of the Old Testament, right? God created the world, then the world fell into sin, but then God decided to graciously initiate relationships with people like Adam and Eve and Noah and Abraham. And in those relationships, you might remember, he makes a lot of promises, like to Abraham, to bless and redeem the world. And then after that comes Moses and Israel and the law. And so in basic, again, in the Old Testament, God gave all these promises and then came the law. And so our question is, how do those promises in the law relate? Or more specifically, did God intend that people now need to obey this law in order to get these promises? And if not, they don't need to obey the law to get the promises, then why even give the law? And so what we're going to do now is we're actually going to go through each of these paragraphs and we're going to see an answer to that question. And just so you know, this first paragraph is going to be Paul's main point. And then in paragraphs two and three, he's just going to answer some questions people could have. But let's just start then with that first paragraph there in verses 15 through 18. So look down at your Bibles and as you hear this, just try to notice the best you can the argument that Paul's making. Verses 15 through 18 of Galatians 3. To give a human example, brothers... Even with a man-made covenant, no one annuls it or adds to it once it's been ratified. Now, the promises were made to Abraham and to his offspring. It does not say, and to offsprings, referring to many, but referring to one, and to your offspring, who is Christ. 
This is what I mean. The law, which came 430, 430 years afterward, does not annul a covenant previously ratified by God so as to make the promise void. For if the inheritance comes by the law, it no longer comes by promise. But God gave it to Abraham by a promise. Now let's go quickly through those verse by verse. Look down at your Bible. Verse 15, Paul says he's giving a human example. And the example is simple. Once a covenant, an official agreement back then was ratified and in place, someone doesn't come and cancel it or add to it. And this is especially God's covenants. So it's verse 16. And there, Paul quotes how the promise was made to Abraham and to his offspring, singular. We'll come back to that. Then verse 17. And now here, you can see in your Bibles, Paul even starts with, this is what I mean. <laughs> Which shows us that even he knows this is a bit confusing. And so what does he mean? Well, he says that his point is that the law, God's law, because it came 430 years after this promise, therefore the law doesn't cancel out God's promise, which finally leads to verse 18 when he concludes, and there he says that this all proves that the inheritance, Abraham and his offspring, getting God's blessing and salvation, that comes not by obeying the law, but by promise. Because, quote, God gave it to Abraham by a promise even before this law existed. And so that very briefly is that first paragraph. And even just hearing that, even if you didn't catch all of that, you can probably start to see how the Old Testament law and the promises relate. Because God first promised to Abraham, and then after that, he gave the law. And so again, the point simply is this. Since the law came after it shows that God didn't promise by law. He didn't promise and then make it so that people have to obey his law in order to get that promise. Rather, God promised first, and so the promise still stands, even for us. So that's Paul's main point. But now to stick with me, press with this further, we'll move on to the next paragraph. Because now here, Paul answers a question in verse 19. And that question is simply, well, why then the law? Right, if you're tracking, meaning if God had already promised that he blessed the world and save his people before the law, then why give the Old Testament law? Especially these Ten Commandments. Well, to see Paul's answer, look down again. Now we're in verses 19 through 20. Why then the law? It was added because of transgressions until the offspring should come to whom the promise had been made and it was put in place through angels by an intermediary. Now an intermediary implies more than one, but God is one. So, so very simply, why was the law added according to Paul in the beginning of that verse? Well, it was added, quote, because of transgressions. And I know that might sound strange, but almost everyone agrees that what Paul's saying here is that the law was added so that Israel and history, and even right now, so that we could see more clearly our transgressions, our sins. Meaning if there was no law, if there was no specific legal command that we were told to obey, then we could perhaps think that we're not so bad. But once God's law comes in, we can see even more clearly how we can't and how we don't do what God asks. And so that's what Paul says as to why God gave the law, because of transgression. And then quickly he does add that this was to be in place until the offspring should come, which we'll talk about in a little bit. 
And then finally, he does say that the law was put in place through angels by an intermediary, which is Moses, and yet God is still one. And on on everything there, without spending too much time, it was a common idea there that God did use angels in the giving of his Old Testament law. And you probably know from the story that he did use Moses as a mediator. And then in verse 20, people debate exactly what Paul is saying, but it seems that he's reminding them that although angels and a mediator were involved, it wasn't as if the law came from all these different people. Instead, it still came from God, the one God. But all that said, that's then verses 19 through 20. And so how do the promises relate here, the promise and the law? Well, in some, the law, as you can see, was added for a time so that people could see that we're sinners until that promise was to come to fruition. And this means practically again, the Old Testament law wasn't meant to replace God's promise or add to God's promise or be something that people like you and I have to obey good enough in order to get that promise. Which finally leads to that third and last paragraph. And now here, Paul's going to get a little more specific as he answers a question directly about the Old Testament and the promises. So I know, this is a lot. Stick with me. Last paragraph, look down to your Bibles, verses 21 and 22. Is the law then contrary to the promises of God? Certainly not. For if a law had been given that could give life, then righteousness would indeed be by the law. But, The scripture imprisoned everything under sin so that the promise by faith in Jesus Christ might be given to those who believe. So verse 21, Paul asks, does this then mean, if you're tracking with this, does this then mean that the law is contrary, is opposed to God's promises? And his answer is firm, certainly not. Both were given by God and God doesn't contradict himself. God didn't mess up and accidentally give the law. And not only that, but Paul's point towards the end of verse 21 there is that the real issue isn't the law itself. Instead, the real issue, as you can see there, is how people can use God's law for the wrong purpose. The the issue is when people see the law as having the ability to give life or righteousness, meaning making you right with God. But the law wasn't given for that purpose. Instead, the end there, or in verse 22, the scripture imprisoned everything under sin. And why? So that the promise by faith in Jesus Christ might be given to those who believe. And now hopefully that makes a little more sense because in brief he's saying that obeying the law wasn't meant to be the way to give life. We weren't meant to have life with God based on how well we're obeying him. Rather, the law was meant to point to our sins and ultimately to point us to the need of God's promise that we have, which is found in Christ. Now, I know, those three paragraphs were a lot. I warned you about that. But now, to cover it briefly, so we're on the same page, what we'll do now is we'll summarize it briefly and then we'll see how this really applies to us. So summary first, in the Old Testament, it's clear, right, that God gave his promise to Abraham first. His promise that he blessed the world. He did that first and then came his Old Testament law. And this means the big point from all of this section of scripture is that God's promises therefore don't depend on us obeying his law. Instead, God's promises stand on their own. And so what's the point of the law? 
It's given to show us our sin, point us to Christ until Christ came. And finally, are the promises in the law at odds then? No. Each just has its own purpose. God's promises are God's promises. <laughs> right? And the law specifically was meant to show us our sin and point us to Christ. So that's the summary. And back then, again, this really mattered for them because they were trying to figure out what to do with this whole Old Testament with promises and law when the Savior Jesus arrived. What about us? I might be sitting there thinking, well, that was a lot. Well, how does all that about God's promises in the Old Testament law relate to me? Well, first and most obviously, it applies to us and how all of that really points to Jesus, our Savior. But we're going to talk about that in our second section. But for now, in terms of how, to apply, how this all applies to us, just, just think about it like this. So as, we, so as we've been talking about, remember, what Paul is essentially talking about here is our Old Testaments. It's still in God's Word, our Old Testaments. It's how God in history acted like this, giving his promises and then giving the Old Testament law. And so for people back then and for us today, figuring out a little bit why God did this is crucial. Because if we get this wrong, not only will we be incorrect, but we'll be thinking about God and our relationship with him in a wrong way, which would be hurtful, like it was going on here in Galatia. And and here's what I mean. So again, intentionally, God in history gave his promises first, and he established himself as a saving God, and then and only then did he give the law. And this matters because if we flip that around, what we end up doing is we end up making God's promises dependent on how well we're obeying his law. (laughs) And sadly, that's what they were doing here back then with people believing that they needed to obey the law good enough in order to be truly saved. And practically for us, that's what we can do today if we think, for example, that we first need to clean up our act and then we can accept the promise in Jesus. Because in all that, if you boil it down, what we're doing is we're making God's promises dependent on how well we're obeying. But remember, God promises first. And not only that, but remember, Paul says the the law was given not to give life. Instead, it was to further point us to the fact that we need God's promises, that we need Christ. And so that should be the case for us as we read the Old Testament still. We are no longer under the Old Testament law as you read your Bibles. I hope you know that. And yet still, we should read that Old Testament. It should point us to how we're sinners as well. And then again, going full circle, we should read the Old Testament and it should point us to God's promises that we so desperately need. And so that's what's going on in all this about God's promises and the Old Testament law. And therefore, in summary, our takeaway from this first section just basically includes two things, church. First, we should, as strange as it sounds, we should strive to recognize our sin more and more. (laughs) Especially as we read the Bible. Because Paul is saying that's one of the main reasons the story of the Old Testament was given. Verse 22, the scripture imprisoned everything under sin. So we should strive to recognize how sinful we are. But also then, second, we should strive to do that for a reason. And the reason is to then, realizing our sin, direct us away from trusting in ourselves and instead direct us towards God and His promises. To the fact that we need Him and His promises to forgive us, to help us, to heal us, to save us. So that's how God's promises and His Old Testament law relate. But now, in our second section, we turn to perhaps the bigger issue. 
And that's how Jesus relates to both of these things. And I say this is a bigger issue because if we only had the Old Testament about God's promises and law, we wouldn't have the gospel. Right? We'd have the gospel foreshadowed because God did promise that he'd save and bless the nations through Abraham's offspring. But the question is, how did or how will that promise come about? What are these promises pointing toward? And not only that, but what is the Old Testament law even pointing toward? Right? We know it's pointing to our sins, but why else did God give that law? And as you probably know, the answer to all of that is Jesus. Right? The God's Old Testament promises, God's Old Testament law, the whole story of the Old Testament itself really was and is pointing to Jesus Christ. But now to, to see that in our text, and to see what that really actually means, we'll look at how Christ is the fulfillment of these Old Testament promises and Old Testament law in three ways in our passage, three ways. And to see them, we're now just going to go back and reread just one verse from each of those paragraphs. Because in each one of these verses, we're going to see how Paul goes out of his way to show us that the ultimate fulfillment of these promises, the ultimate fulfillment of this law, really is the person and the work of Jesus Christ. So let's first go back to verse 16. Look at your Bibles, verse 16. Here we see perhaps the most important and the most interesting verse in our whole passage. So look down your Bibles, Galatians 3, 16. Now, the promises were made to Abraham and to his offspring. It does not say, and to offsprings, referring to many, but referring to one, and to your offspring, who is Christ. So as a reminder, in the Old Testament, God promised Abraham and his offspring that he'd have an inheritance that would eventually lead to the whole world being blessed. That was God's promise. And remember, God promised that to Abraham all the way back in Genesis 12, so the 12th chapter in your Bible. And in a sense, that in a nutshell is the promise that runs throughout the whole story of the Bible. We're sinners, but God is gracious, and he's going to redeem and do something that will not only save but bless the world. And it was told to Abraham that that would come about through his offspring. So that's the promise. But now here in verse 16, notice what Paul does with that. He takes the fact that the promise was made to Abraham's offspring, or seed if you have another translation, and he decides to point out that God there didn't say offsprings. Instead, God used the singular, offspring. And with this, Paul then makes the bold statement that this shows that God never ultimately was, quote, referring to many, but ultimately referring to one, and to your offspring, which is Christ. Now, people will point out that that is some novel and clever interpreting of the Bible from Paul here. <laughs> and that's because, as we all know, the word offspring or seed both in the original languages of the Bible and in English, is what we call a collective singular noun. Right? A collective singular noun. Meaning it's a singular noun, doesn't have an S at the end, it's a singular noun, that it refer, but it refers to a collection of people, a group of people. And so this means on the one hand, at face value, God in Genesis was saying to Abraham that his promise would be inherited by this one singular group of people, plural, right? Abraham's offspring. And yet, 
Fascinatingly enough, the reason why Paul's interpretation here isn't wrong is because Paul is right, pointing out to us that grammatically, to Abraham, God decided to use a singular noun there in the promise. Yes, it is a collective singular noun, but it's still a singular noun, offspring, referring to one. And that's why, inspired by God here, to sum this up, Paul here is seeing this dual reality in how God's promise was made to Abraham's offspring. And this dual reality still exists for us today as Christians. And what it is is that, on the one hand, God has many individual persons in his people who receive his salvation and promises. Meaning there are many sons and daughters of Abraham, as Paul already said in Galatians 3.7. Right? And so in that sense, God's promises do go to a group of individual persons. The sons and daughters of Abraham. Abraham's offspring. And yet, that being the case, there's also this other side of this reality about Abraham's offspring. And that's how the promise of God to Abraham, although, yes, incorporating many persons, still was always meant to funnel through one singular person. Abraham's ultimate offspring, one individual, and that's the Son of God, Jesus Christ. And so that's the dual reality that Paul is showing us here with this promise to Abraham and his offspring. Again, if you think about it, that's true for us today, true, because technically, I hope you know, Christ himself, the Son of God, is the recipient and the fulfillment of God's promises. It's Christ who inherits the world, who blesses the nations, who rules over it as King and Savior. He's Abraham's offspring, and yet also there is a group of persons, the church, true believers, who are in Christ and who are now therefore sons and daughters of Abraham, who do inherit all the promises of God, and who do so in Christ. And and in case it's a little confusing to you, quickly, if you want, skim down to the last verse of our chapter in chapter 3, because in verse 29, Paul says this in another way, and maybe it's a little helpful. And so this is where Paul's going in chapter 3, and he says this in verse 29. And if you are Christ's, then you are Abraham's offspring, heirs according to to promise. So so there it is, clear as day. God made a promise to Abraham's offspring. As we just saw in verse 16, that offspring ultimately Jesus Christ. And yet, if you are in Christ, then you are Abraham's offspring. And you also surely inherit God's promises. But all I said, that's then the first way Christ relates to all this in our passage. Christ is the fulfillment of those promises to Abraham. And so the point is, practically, if you want to inherit God's promises, you must do so in Christ, since Christ is the offspring. Or to say it negatively, and this has a huge impact for us in our modern pluralistic world, if you personally don't know and trust in Jesus Christ, you can't inherit God's promises. And that's not because we as Christians just want to be exclusive or anything like that. But it's because of, this is of what Paul says here, because this is always how God intended it. His promises, his blessings of salvation and joy and peace and hope and having that relationship with God are all found in Christ and in Jesus Christ alone. That now leads us to the second verse in our passage that talks about how Christ is in relation to this. And for this, we'll now be in verse 19 again, if you want to look down. 
And this will be our quickest verse. So look down at your Bibles, verse 19 again. Why then the law? It was added because of transgressions until the offspring should come to whom the promise had been made. And it was put in place through angels by an intermediary. So concerning Christ there, you can see that the law was added, quote, until the offspring, who we now know is Jesus himself, should come to whom the promise had been made. And this then shows us that Christ is not only the fulfillment of the promise, but also of the Old Testament law. Because, yeah, the law was added to show us our transgressions until Christ were to come. And so the point is, now that Christ has come, the law no longer has that binding force it once did for the Israelites, all because it was meant to lead them and to lead us to Christ. Which finally brings us to the third and last way that Christ relates to these promises in the law. And now for this, finally, we'll be in verse 22, the last verse in our section. And as you'll see, verse 22 now, in many ways, is sort of a summary of everything we've been talking about. And I do think it's what applies most to you and I today. So one last time, how does Christ relate to God's promises and Old Testament law? Look down at your Bibles, verse 22. But the scripture imprisoned everything under sin, so that the promise by faith in Jesus Christ might be given to those who believe. So now this verse really tells us why God orchestrated the whole story of the Bible and the scriptures, you can see that word there, the way he did. Because remember, that in essence is really one of our big questions this morning. Why did God make these Old Testament promises and then give this whole law? Or really, just concerning the story of the Bible as a whole, why did God have these promises and then have this long negative history? Right? Think about it. In the Torah and Joshua and Judges and the Kings and Samuel and Chronicles and then in so many of the prophets. Why did God let this story unfold, this history where his people didn't primarily obey him but instead primarily disobeyed him? I mean, if you've ever read the Old Testament, perhaps you've seen that. Right? Perhaps you've seen and you've been amazed at how much Israel and how so many people are negative examples how disobedient to God's law they are. Why did God have it happen that way? And as a side note, this is something that a lot of critics of Christianity will bring up against the Bible all the time. Right? They, they read the Bible and point out that there are some awful stories and sinful people in it, which is true. But then they critique us saying that we or that God support everything that happens in the Bible. And I hope we all know that that's just a serious misunderstanding of what the Bible actually is, especially the Old Testament. Because again, the Old Testament is a lot of history, of historical account. And so the Old Testament itself, to be clear, is an inerrant book, but it's also a historical account of, of God redeeming his people, and God is always gracious and loving and righteous. But the Old Testament is also a historical account about people like us, being shown to not primarily be good examples, but primarily shown to be sinners. <laughs> and this means that ev not everything in the stories of the Bible is meant to be prescriptive. Let me say that again. Not everything in the stories you read in the Bible is meant to be prescriptive. Far from it. Instead, a lot of it is simply descriptive. 
right? Describing to us what happened, showing us what sin, like, sin looked like, and ultimately pointing us to the fact that they were sinners and that we too are broken sinners ourselves. And that's then essentially what we see there in verse 22. Notice what Paul says. These Old Testament scriptures, quote, imprisoned everything under sin. Meaning through reading the scriptures, the Old Testament, we should see that essentially everything is in prison, held captive to, underneath the power of sin, rebellion to human beings like you and I, just wanting our own way now and wanting nothing to do with God. Paul's saying that that's one of the main things about the Old Testament. Or to take it a step up, that's one of the main things that God really wants us to see as we read our Old Testaments. The Israelites themselves were under sin. Their people, their prophets, their priests, their kings, their story. It shows they were under sin and overall, so were we on our own. But again, why? Why did God do that in the Old Testament? Why did he want sin in them and sin in us to be so crystal clear? Well, that's where that second half of verse 22 comes in. Quote, so that the promise by faith in Jesus Christ might be given to those who believe. And this simply now means that the whole Old Testament, from God's promise to his giving of that law, really was all setting up for the coming of Jesus Christ. Or if you want to think about it in terms of typical storyline plots, right? The whole Old Testament was the rising action, preparing us for the coming of Jesus Christ and the climax. And, and on that topic, as a quick side note, I, I just hope we all realize that the reason we do love good stories and plots in good movies or good TV shows or good books, which always have conflict and rising actions and climaxes and resolutions, the reason we love those is because that's God's storyline of the universe. <laughs> that's the storyline of Jesus Christ and the gospel that God had planned before he even made the world. <laughs> so all those stories we love are just a little taste of this ultimate story that we're talking about, just something to think about. But that's, that's the whole Testament. It was this conflict and rising action showing us our sin. And why? So that the promise by faith in Jesus Christ might be given to those who believe. It's, it's all pointing there, right, to Christ. But lastly, notice, it's not just technically pointing to Christ, but it's specifically pointing to belief, to faith in Christ. Notice how that's repeated twice in verse 22. And this means that the whole Old Testament was given by God, number one, to show us our sin, number two, to point us to Christ, but also, number three, to show us that all we can do is trust in Christ. <laughs> we can't obey good enough. We can't work hard enough. We can't do enough for God. Instead, all we can do is simply believe, trust, have faith in this promised Savior, Jesus Christ. So that's our passage first. We saw how God's promises in the Old Testament law relate, but not only that, more importantly, second, we saw how Christ really is the fulfillment of those Old Testament promises and of that Old Testament law. God's promises find their fulfillment in Jesus. God's law was always meant to point us to Jesus, and specifically, all of that was meant to point us to faith in Jesus. Which finally then, for all of us here this morning, leads us to close with one obvious, but huge application from all of us. And so very practically, you may be hearing that and thinking something like, okay, that was a lot about the Old Testament and God's promises to Abraham and the Old Testament law and Christ, but now what about me? 
And if you're thinking anything like that, the answer is simple. Christ has come. Right? The promise has come. And so now for you and I, where we are in this story, where you are in your story, the question simply is, am, am I going to recognize that I truly am a sinner like that and trust and embrace this Savior Christ, embrace him as the promise from God, embrace him as the end of all of my trying to obey good enough to get God on my side, embrace him as the forgiveness of sins, am I going to do that or not? That's really the issue, because forget about, for a second, all the details and the semi-confusing section of Scripture, and realize that overall, that's the point that this apostle and pastor Paul is trying to make to this church. Because I know in, in many ways, what he's been talking about here probably isn't something that many of us thought about before you walked in here this morning, right? You probably didn't come to church this morning really wondering how the Old Testament promises and law related to each other. And yet still, what we do all want to know is how we can be forever okay with the living God. But what we do want to know is how we can inherit God's promises. Or if you're already a professing Christian, what we really do want to know is how we can have any assurance and security that we are totally okay forever. And all of that is where we are honestly so tempted in our natural religiosity to rely on law, right? to rely on our works, to rely on our actions, to rely on how good I'm doing. But remember this from this morning. We don't inherit God's promises based on our obedience. Instead, the gospel really is the promise by faith in Jesus Christ for all who believe. That's what Paul was arriving at here, and that's what we should arrive at as we come to a close. And so again, the obvious but huge application from all this is don't leave here without making it personal. Do I really believe this Jesus? And by that, the Bible never is meaning that you just believe in Jesus' existence, nor is it talking about doing religious things like coming to church. Really, the question is, do you trust Jesus and not yourself for your sins to be forgiven, for your right standing with the living God for your life? All right, if you don't, then God's word does say to you here this morning personally that you are outside of inheriting God's promises. Because God's promises are found in Christ, and Christ alone. But on the flip side, if you do trust Jesus, then take heart. You are part of Abraham's offspring. You do inherit God's promises. You can have assurance of that. And that's because it's not because of anything you've done. But it's because you're found in Christ. And so one last time, church, God's message really throughout the whole storyline of the Bible has been so crystal clear. We're created in his image. Yes, we are loved, but we're also broken sinners. Remember, our living God really wants us to see that. He orchestrated the whole Old Testament story so we could see that. But he did so for a reason. And it's so that the promise by faith in Jesus Christ might be given to those who believe. And so in response, I just urge that no one leaves here this morning Without turning, without turning to God and instead turning our backs on why God did what he did. Instead, may we each in our hearts genuinely be people who, yes, realize we're broken sinners, but then who above all personally believe, who really trust in this promised Savior Jesus.